Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. And we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So uh, we've now, as discussed before, we've entered into Al-Baqarah. Uh, there's a couple things I want to do. One is to give you an overall structure to the surah. And then two is to continue or to complete our discussion of the first ayah getting into then into the second ayah. And then inshallah we'll, we'll call it a day. So first, I'm going to give you a very simple overall structure to this surah. And, and this is going to be our, so to speak, our frame of reference through which we're going to be uh, exploring the surah. So we've already spoken about the name. We said that the function of the names of the surahs uh, are essentially identification. Uh, a small point to consider is that because the names are coming from the prophet, may peace be upon him, that it is actually a blessing to even use the names. The companions of the prophet, may peace be upon him, they would often, if not use the names, they would use the first few ayahs as reference. So for example, if you talk to a little desi kid and you say, can you recite Surah Al-Ikhlas, the kid will probably not know what you're talking about. If you say, recite Qul Huwallahu Ahad, then they'll know exactly what you're talking about. So Surah Al-Baqarah <coughs> uh, essentially has 20 or 40 parts, depending upon how different people have segmented it. I'm giving you a very, very simple structure. And the first part is ayahs 1 through 39. The second part is ayahs 40 through 123. The third part is ayahs 75 to 284. And the fourth part is ayah 285 to 286. And I spelled the letter eight wrong, okay. And so, Let's use some color just to make things really happy. I tend to like dark colors. So this first part for our purposes is the introduction. The second part is the Ummah of Musa, peace be upon him. Okay, the third part is the Ummah of Muhammad. And you'll notice these two parts overlap each other. And then the fourth part is the conclusion. So this is an overall structure of, of the Surah. The goal for this particular course, which is going to take us close to the end of Ramadan, uh, is, is to go through Ayahs 1 through 39. Okay. And then by the time we get to Ayah 139, then essentially we're, we're, we're done and, and we can discuss course number two. Course number two is essentially half of, of, of part two. Okay. So this is the, the introduction. So now let me give you a further breakdown of the introduction itself. So Surah 2, 
the introduction. So once again, these are ayahs 2, 1 through 39. Uh, we've already seen ayah 1, which is alif lam mim. And that, as mentioned, we're going to finish that discussion, inshallah, today. And the next subsection is ayahs 2 through 20. It's spelled 20 wrong. The next section after that is two, uh, 21 through 29. And then the next section after that is ayahs 30 to 39. So section two here of the introduction is models of belief and rejection. And then 21 through 29 is foundational commands and concepts. And the last part is origins. So that is the overall structure of this subsection that we're going through. And as we get into Aya 2 through 20, that section, I'll give you a further breakdown of that, inshallah. So, <clears throat> having said that, let us go back and look at uh, Alif Lam Mim. So, not to repeat too much of what we discussed yesterday. Hopefully, uh, can someone nod to let me know that you can see the screen? The the the, the okay, perfect. Okay, so. Among the things that we spoke about yesterday, first, the most obvious is that when we speak of alif lam mim, okay, no one knows what this means except for Allah. That's usually what the most common thing is that we say. But what else is there? By accepting that I don't know what this means, but Allah knows what it means, I have begun the process of submission. I am intellectually submitting to Allah by acknowledging there's limits to my knowledge that Allah is not limited by, that there's knowledge beyond my knowledge. And what else do we say? How do I know how to pronounce this? This is giving us a hint of this continuous living tradition of, of, of the, the Muslim community. It is the same thing that teaches us how to pray, this continuous living tradition. Okay. Now, one other point to try to get a grasp at the meaning, uh, we said that there's a couple sources of, of understanding the Quran, a couple sources of tafsir. This would be in notes from a couple days ago. The first one is the Qur'an, understanding the Qur'an with the Qur'an itself. The second is the Prophet, peace be upon him, and so forth and, and so on. And so let's look for a pattern. So after Alif Lam Mim, in Surah 2, we have, This is a book about which there is no doubt, guidance for those who are conscious of Allah. Okay, so 
hold on to that in, in your mind for just a moment. And then let's look at another surah that begins with the disconnected letters. Let's look at Ali Imran. Again, we have Alif Lam Mim. This is the third surah. We have Alif Lam Mim. Allah, there is no God but Him. He is the living, the eternal. Okay, there's no deity but Him except uh, He is the ever living, the eternal. And then he has sent down upon you, O Muhammad, the book in truth, confirming what was before it, and he revealed the Torah and, and, the, and the Injil, the Gospels. Okay? So that's surah number two. Let's move that over here. Let's look at another surah. Let's look at, for example, surah number 11. This begins also with the disconnected letters, although they're in the same ayah. Kitabun uhkimat ayatuhu. So Alif Lam Ra, this is the book whose verses are perfected and then presented in detail. Anybody notice a pattern? What seems to be getting repeated after the disconnected letters? Feel free to say it or to type it. And I'll just keep looking and bring us to other surahs. Let's look at surah number well, Surah Yusuf. So Mahin is saying, mention of the book. Yeah, let's test it further. Alif Lam Ra, Tilka Ayatul Kitab. So these are the verses of the clear book. And just to really make the point further, let's look at Surah number 13. In fact, we can just use the same. So the suspense, okay, Alif, Lam, Mim, Ra. Tilka Ayatul Kitab. Again, the Kitab. So about 29 surahs begin with these disconnected letters. Okay. That's a small bit of trivia, uh, uh, not as much useful information there. Nearly every surah that begins with the disconnected letters is, it follows up with some mention of the book. That's at least a pattern of consistency. And so one way to think about this is that these letters may not be arbitrary. Then <clears throat> there's a couple surahs that, that modify that a little bit. If we look, for example, at, let's see, which one should we go to next? Uh, let's go to Surat Maryam, Surah 19. So, kaf haya ain sod. Kaf haya ain sod. Disconnect letters, five of them this time. And then, dhikru rahmatihi rabbika abduhur zakariya. So, this is a mention of the rahma of your Lord to his servant Zakariya. There's no mention of the kitab, no mention of the book. Now, if we want to put all of those together, another way to look at this is that these are different manifestations of the Rahmah of Allah. One way Allah gives Rahmah is with the book by providing guidance. Another way that Allah gives Rahmah, and, and for those of you who already know the story here, is in response to Dua. So Zakariyah is calling on his his Lord with a private, a subtle, a soft 
request with soft supplication to it. So these letters might have some indication about the mercy of Allah. And then there's a surah that is very different in terms of how it begins. So this is surah al-Rum. It begins with alif lam mim, and then the Romans have been conquered in the nearby land, but then they will also conquer again. And then it moves on from there. And another way to read this, if we read all of these as expressions of the Rahmah of Allah, one way we said Allah reveals his Rahmah is through direct guidance, like the book. Another way is by answering your prayers. Another way is through the process of history. By the events of history that, that go on, that is another <clears throat> way that Allah manifests his mercy. So a question was asked to one of the closest, let's go back to Surah 2, one of the closest companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him, Abdullah ibn al-Abbas. And what was his uh, esteem or one of his honors? The Prophet, may peace be upon him, made a request for him and identified him as the Mufassir of the Sahaba, that he is the Quran commentator of the Sahaba. And he was asked, what does this mean? What does Alif Lam Mim mean? And, and it is said that he said that it means that Allah knows all. Okay. Now, again, if you take it on its own, fine. But then if you take it in terms of relationship to us, a point to consider is that is in itself the Rahmah of Allah. Okay. Now, I'm taking something that you and I take as obvious, but I'm trying to give us a slightly different way in which we look at it. By saying that Allah knows all, it means what we infer from that is I am not being left out. That Allah is giving me full attention according to my design. And among, when we add these follow-up verses, these follow-up ayats, among the ways where he manifests his knowledge and his attention to me, one is by giving me guidance through the book, another is by answering my prayers, and another is by how my life itself plays out. And so these are the points that we're going we're gonna to be uh, revisiting over the course of the next uh, couple or next you know, classes through the, through the end of the course, inshallah. But that was the last one I want to draw our attention to as an attempt to try to make sense of what do these letters mean. There are theories, there are further theories that if a surah begins with the dis these disconnect letters and one of them is alif, this is the content. If it's lam, this is the content. Mean, this is the content. And those, th those things are also worth considering. They are pretty, pretty uh, interesting points. But, okay. So now having said that, uh, sorry, I'm having technical difficulties on this one other computer. Let me just do something really quickly. Okay, so now, and can y'all still hear me and see me? Someone nod or something? Good, okay. So that computer I think is back up now. Let's now get into this next subsection. When we look at the second ayah of Surat Al-Baqarah, First point to consider <clears throat> is when you look at the Arabic text, you see these, these two sets of three dots, Mo'anaka. Anybody tell us what this means? 
This is a, a common thing that you'll be taught early on in your Tajweed lectures. What does it mean in terms of, of recitation? Um, I think if you stop at one, you can't stop mm -hmm. at the other. Yes, that's exactly it, mashallah. So, so this is sort of like a, uh, a modified or a hybrid semicolon. Either you stop at the first one or you stop at the second one. So what we're saying is that built into this ayah, there's two different readings at the same time. So let's write them out to help make sense of them. And again, apologies if this is, this is very basic. This is to get everyone on, on the same page. One way to read ayah 2 is this is the kitab. Notice I'm not translating kitab. Yeah. No doubt. Semicolon. In it is guidance for those who have taqwa. And the key is the word in it, or not the key, but the key for our variation here. The other is, this is the book that has no doubt in it. Or this is the kitab with no doubt in it. So the in it is up here. It is guidance for those who have taqwa. Okay, so <clears throat> simple question. What's the difference between these two readings? Very, very, very simple. Just looking at these two. This is the kitab, no doubt, versus this is the kitab, no doubt in it. And then the second part of each sentence, in it is guidance for those who have taqwa, it is guidance for those who have taqwa. What's the variation? What changes? Anyone? Dawn, dawn. See, at this point, I would, I would start drinking a glass of water, and then the students feel compelled to answer by the time I finish my gulp. So we'll pretend. Anyone want to share? Sorry, we're all together. Um, I think the first one, the focus is on the book as a whole, the kitab. The, it's no doubt that it is the kitab from Allah. The other one focuses on what's inside of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So depending upon which part we're looking at, we're either looking at the, the container itself or we're looking at the contents of the container. So in the first part, this is the kitab. The kitab has no doubt. Likewise, what is in it is doubtless. And then if we look at the second part, we have the content. In it is guidance for those who have taqwa. And then in the second uh, reading, it is guidance for those who have taqwa. And it's a subtle but small difference, but it is fascinating that we have both of those in the exact same ayah, both of those variations. 
One is saying that the guidance, the, the guidance itself is doubtless and that which is provided inside is doubtless guidance. Uh, I, I met a guy, this is about 25 years ago now, who, who became Muslim just because of this ayah. And he was saying like in academics, everything is relative. There's no absolute truth. And what he appreciated about this was that this is making an absolute claim of no doubt whatsoever. That was what attracted him to, to Islam. So alhamdulillah for him. So <clears throat> what else do we have? Uh, a couple of big words. One, of course, is kitab. Now, kitab, we usually translate uh, uh, into English as book. But the Quran itself was not in book form at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So I'm going to give you a very simple history of the evolution of the compilation of the Quran. Those of you who've done Theo 295 with me at Loyola, you're already familiar with this. Um, so the evolution of compilation of the Quran. First is the phase of the prophet himself, peace be upon him. And as you know, that he first starts receiving revelations when he's about 40 years old. So give or take in our calendar, that's about the year 610. This continues almost all the way till his final days, which is give or take around 6, uh, 632, 633. And so over the course of 23 years, he receives the revelations, as you know, in small segments. And what else is taking place? Uh, as he starts getting followers, he assigns secretaries to note down whatever he's receiving. So one of the most prominent is Zaid bin Thabit, who is one of his secretaries, who writes down what they have. Now, as you and I know, this is primarily a verbal society. Even though they were, they were uh, skilled merchants, everything was mostly verbal. There was some amount of writing. But as we teach, the prophet, peace be upon him himself, was, was not lettered. He did not read and write. And thus, paper was a very expensive commodity. And so what did they write on? They would write on skins. They would write on, on, on bones, like leather skins, not their own skins, and, and, and such. And nevertheless, the primary method of delivery of the revelation and preservation of revelation was memorization, recitation, practice, and memorization. But it was not compiled into book form. After the Prophet dies, as you know, Abu Bakr becomes the leader of the Muslim community. And there are many tribes who had just entered Islam prior to the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who after the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, have announced, we're not going to pay the zakats. And Abu Bakr took this as a declaration of war, this apostasy. And so throughout much of his work as the leader of the Muslims, he is engaged in what we would call the Ridda Wars, the wars of apostasy. And in that process, many of the people who had the Quran memorized are dying off. And so Omar says to him, okay, we need to write this down. We need to write out the whole Quran. Otherwise, it's going to be lost. And to give you an idea of what the Sahaba are like with the Prophet, peace be upon him, Abu Bakr gives the most classic answer. He says, how can I do something that the Prophet did not do? If the Prophet didn't put into book form, how can I do it? 
And then Omar convinces him this is a good, this is a khair. And in our language, this would be a good innovation. And so Abu Bakr agrees, and then he assigns Zayd to put the Quran into book form. Zayd that originally refuses, but he has to obey the Emir. <clears throat> and by the time the Prophet uh, Abu Bakr dies, which is within two years after the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the entire Quran is written out. And it's not in a book. Think of it as individual files, so to speak. Can I ask a question? Please. No, it's very interesting because I went to two, uh, I hope everyone forgives me, I went to two Lutheran, or, uh, excuse me, Jesuit colleges. <laughs> oh, well, you're, you're, you're right at home here because just about everybody here is from, is, I, people I, from North I Loyola. Appreciate it. I think it made me grow closer to my religion going to it, you know, okay. we don't have anything like that here. So, but um, I, I didn't realize you're saying that the Quran was written, like the book form was written two years later. Is that what you're saying? So written as one full set, yeah, within two years. The book form is gonna be coming next. And the slight difference is basically it's not bound. Okay. But essentially for all intents and purposes, yeah, it's fully written within two years after the death of the prophet, peace be upon him. Okay, I just was always under the impression that our prophet, peace be upon him, he wrote the book. Mm -hmm. hmm. I don't know of anything in our source material that indicates that. But, yeah. no, it's, it's, I, I learned something today. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Okay. Okay. okay, but yeah, as far as going to uh, a Jesuit school, that's literally half the people here. So, <laughs> it's a good thing, I think. Professor. Yes, honey. Um, I thought that the book was written while he revealed it. Like it wasn't written two years after he passed away. We, I was, uh, we always um, were taught that it was written. I know us too. Okay, he wrote it, but it was written down like they took the ayat down while he was still alive. So, so there were, yeah, go ahead. None of it was written while he was alive. No, so there were secretaries who were who did have the responsibility of writing down what he has, um, but it was not compiled uh, as one set, as one you know, for lack of a better term, book yeah. until after he died. Oh, okay. It was it was written while he spoke. So yeah, there are people who were with him. Yes, individually is a keyword here. Okay. And there were some companions who did actually write out uh, uh, much of it. Um, uh, like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, one of his close companions, had the whole thing, his own copy, right? Oh. But um, not an official writing down okay. of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Yusuf, in terms of, of your quote, thank you for that. I think you're actually referring to uh, Zaid bin Thabit for that point also. Uh, but it may also be Zaid bin uh, Haritha. Okay, very good. So, so then what we get from there, move forward. After Abu Bakr dies, the Ummah is now under Omar. And now this nation is becoming an empire. And then after Omar, Uthman becomes the Khalifa. And there is a need to standardize the script. And so Uthman also assigning the same secretary, Zaid, he orders the writing 
of multiple copies of the Quran. And so when is that taking place? Within about 25 years, which is two years after the prophet here. And within about 25 years after the prophet, actually far less than that, it's probably about 20. Uh, it's being written into multiple copies. And to just give you a sense of what it looks like, if you if you Google old copies of the Quran, oops, uh, share screen, and so if we do old copies, uh, not of yellow pages of Quran, you'll see something missing. There are no dots. There's no fatakasardama. There's no harakat. And so these copies would be written, and they're all being checked. According to some narrations, as many as 20 copies are written. And then they're going through with, so to speak, a fine-tooth comb to see which seven copies or six copies are the most authentic, the most clear, and they burn all the rest. And so now this becomes the standard text and Uthman, may Allah be pleased with him, sends a copy to each of the capitals of this empire with reciters. So the transmission is still person to person, just like the prophet to the companions, the companions to the successors, so forth and so on. Even in this period, it's still person to person, but now we have, so to speak, a skeleton on text to, to verify with. Of these copies, there are a few that are still said to be in existence. Uh, one is said to be in the Topkapi Palace in Russia, not in Russia, not in Russia, in Istanbul. If you, if you look, uh, if you go to the American Islamic College, they have a life-size facsimile, a life-size photocopy of that one. The last few pages are kind of deteriorated. There was one that was considered to be uh, uh, on display in a museum in Tashkent in Uzbekistan, but I think that was uh, that was uh, disproven that it's a much later copy. Uh, there's one that was found in the archives of a mosque in Cairo. Uh, but that one, I don't know if they've ever actually verified that it's, it's one of the early, early ones. And why? Because for the common Muslim, this is irrelevant information. Because then and now, the primary method of preservation is memorization. But then what happens next phase, a hundred years later, under a very interesting governor, his name is Hajjaj bin Yusuf. <coughs> this is about a hundred years after the prophet, peace be upon him. He orders the adding of diacritical marks to the text. And so for non-Arabs especially, to be able to recite the Quran phonetically, he's adding what we are today calling as well as all the dots and such. That happens 100 years later. Now, there's another point I want you to consider, and for most of you, you've probably never heard this. 
And I have to caution, this is not dinnertime conversation, but this is an issue we have to discuss uh, for various political reasons today. Variant readings of the Quran. Oops, I've already said readings. And uh, Mahin, uh, I will try, inshallah, toward the end. Uh, variant readings. And, and so this is Qira'at versus Ahruf. Okay. So what are we saying here? That some of you may already be familiar with the fact that in terms of schools of recitation, there are a number of different schools. And, and so, for example, someone who is trained in Quranic recitation, usually across the, the Middle East, from, from Cairo to, to Saudi Arabia, uh, into the subcontinent, for the most part, their particular recitation sounds the same. However, if you listen to a reciter from Morocco, the recitation will be of a different school. It'll sound differently. Right. If you're paying attention to it, you can hear a difference. And in, in fact, the Imam of one of the mosques in Milwaukee, he's trained in seven different schools of recitation. So to repeat the point I'm making is that there's different schools on how to pronounce the vowels. So most of us are used to uh e u. But another school is e, e, o. And these are different schools of recitation. Subtle differences in how to pronounce every single letter. But they're so detail-oriented, they're being very perfect about it, tracing it all back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Good. Those are the schools of recitation. But what else is also an issue that many of you are not going to be familiar with is that in some cases, there are variant letters. And sometimes it goes to variant words. So the prophet, peace be upon him, he receives some ayahs and he goes back to Jibril, angel Gabriel, peace be upon him, and says, I have people who recite differently. I have people who are speaking in different dialects. I need a variation on this ayah. And Jibreel comes back to him and says, Allah has accepted your request. And he gives him a different variation of the same ayah. So for example, think of this. So those of you who can read the Arabic, what is the first word and what is the second word? Yu'minuna versus tu'minuna. First one, uh, they believe. Yeah. Minun is you believe. And you believe. And so you will find one mushaf, one copy of the Quran published in one part of the world. And in one ayah, it'll say they believe. And you'll find one published in a different part of the world in wholly authentic. And it'll say, you believe for the exact same place in the word, in the same ayah. 
and both of them are authentic, traced back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. I'm guessing most of you may not have heard about this before. And so even when we have uh, Uthman sending out those, those copies of the Quran with no dots and such, these variant readings are also built into that too. Any thoughts, questions about that? Some people are just typing. Can you give an example of one of these ayahs? Well, I mean, we actually just looked at one, right? This is a look at uh, what we have of, of uh, here. It's a difference in uh, punctuation. And this is literally what we're saying about this ayah right here. In this case, the words are the same, but the pauses are different and thus the meanings are different. So I'm including, when I'm saying letters and words, I'm also including the pauses as variations. And this is right here at the beginning of, of, of the, the second page of the Quran. Now, is it anything that'll change meaning? No, but will it enhance meaning, give us other dimensions? Yeah, absolutely, just like we saw with this ayah. And, and so think about it a bit. We can, we, can, uh, we can explore this point a little bit further, but this is also part of the preserved Quran. That in the same place, you might have two different things that there are two different passages at the exact same time. Okay. <clears throat> and then I'll open the floor also for more questions uh, in just a moment, inshallah. But I want you to all uh, explore this point about variant readings. The reason being, that this is something that a lot of Islamophobes are zeroing in on to say, look, no, your book has been changed. This is a sign that your book has been changed. No, we're not saying the book has been changed. These are all traced back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay, the other big word, uh, going back to kitab, we're saying when does it actually become a kitab? By the time of Abu Bakr and Uthman. If we're speaking of kitab as book, but another way to translate kitab is prescription. This is the prescription, no doubt. And think about what you hear when you hear the word prescription. It's prescribing a way of life. And it also has the word script in it, referring to writing. And there are also other readings, but for our purposes, this would be the, the a core the point to consider that when they're reciting Thalik al-Kitab, you know, and technically it's actually that is the book, uh, they are not necessarily imagining a physical book the way you and I might be imagining a physical book. But they are imagining the prescription. And the other, the other uh, big word that I want to translate from this is taqwa, which is what we'll be speaking about for the next class or two, depending upon our speed, is taqwa is often translated as fear but I'm not a fan of this translation. I think this is more of a modern translation. More accurately, it is to shield yourself. And in the context of, of religion, it's to shield yourself with Allah. And what does it mean then to shield yourself with Allah? And this is what you see in a lot of translations. You're being God conscious. 
but this is also giving us a hint about how life operates. Remember we said that much of the focus of the Quran is on your thinking. And when we're saying you need to shield yourself with Allah, what else are we essentially saying? That part of the design of life is that life hits you. We might use the word tests, we might use the word struggles, but part of the design of life is you're going to be hit with all types of different things. Could be a plague and a quarantine. It could be a loss of job and income. It could be a fear, it could be sickness and life is going to hit you. If you shield yourself with Allah and persevere through, then inshallah you'll be okay. And so that's one of the big lessons right from the word itself. Okay, and so for the next day or so, we're going to be looking at ayahs two through five, and these are the people of taqwa. The muttaqeen. So having said that, now we're already at um, like 340-ish. Uh, anybody have any questions about anything, anything at all? Um, can you repeat that last part about the shield yourself with God? Okay, very good. So often taqwa is being translated as fearing, fearing God. And I'm saying, suggesting that's a little bit more modern in terms of translation. If we get right to the text of the word itself, it means to shield yourself with Allah. Meaning what? That things in life are going to hit you. And what should I turn to to help deal with it? I should turn to God. And so Allah or my relationship with Allah becomes my shield through which to deal with all these things that hit me in life. Uh, let me know if that makes sense or if you need more explanation, inshallah. Any other questions about anything at all? So um, could it also, like, when you say God conscious, that means with every decision choice, and step we take, we should take it with God in mind, like God approve, disapprove. Yeah, ideally. I mean, that's the level to get to. And, and so that's the level to try to, to reach where it's 24 seven. Yes. And so, so for many of us, it might be a, just a matter of some big decisions or moments of right and wrong. And you want to reach that point in every step. And that takes, Effort, training, growth, all those things. But yes. Any other questions about anything at all? Oh, regarding the test. So just to repeat the 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 page where all this stuff is saved, previous lectures and such. Hold on, I'm having another computer. Give me one second here. on class L1. There you can find uh, the, the whiteboard recordings as well as the SoundCloud links for the previous lectures and such. And at the top of that, you will see the new exam for Surah Al-Fatiha. And my request is see if you can try to finish it by the end of Ramadan uh, and do small amounts a day. It's not, it's not as much an evaluation 
exam, it's also part of the process of helping you learn all the material. And, and so that would be the uh, answer to that question. Uh, Mahin, can you get into the whole issue that missionaries use regarding the burning by Uthman as a way to debunk the preservation of the Quran? So a couple issues that Islamophobes are often using is the copy of the Quran that, that uh, was written under Abu Bakr. It was given then to Hafsa, the daughter of Omar and one of the wives of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And, and so then what is happening with that? That is also then getting burnt when Uthman is prescribing everything else to be burnt. There are a couple companions who still kept their copies, like Abdullah ibn Masood kept his copy, uh, which I think technically he didn't consider actually to be the Quran, but almost like his notes of learning from the Prophet, peace be upon him. That's one way that, that Islamophobes often go on the attack. The other way, like I said, is is trying to uh, twist around this point about uh, the variant readings, the different ahruf. Uh, uh, sometimes it's missionaries, but more often the, the better term is probably Islamophobes because uh, some missionaries are, are just literally trying to bring good word to the people. Uh, uh, any other questions about this material or anything else? If nothing else, we can stop right here, inshallah. And so we'll continue tomorrow. Like I said, we'll be going through IS 2 through 5, and we're going to be going through those also very, very slowly. You'll see little by little, we're going we're gonna to pick up. We're about a third of the way done with, with uh, all the course material, and it's been about 10 sessions. So we'll probably finish right around the end of, of Ramadan, inshallah. Okay, and then we can decide what we want to do after that. So we'll end. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka. We seek your forgiveness. Wa natubu ilayk and return to you. Okay. May Allah Ta'ala reward you all, inshallah, and we'll see you tomorrow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.